0: He's not talking about glory in the physical manifestation sense. What he's talking about is the mission. Because in in verses one through four, he says, Father, I've completed the work that you gave me to do. By doing that, I've glorified you, now glorify me. In other words, it's the work of salvation, it's the gospel. We possess the greatest and most important thing that is taking place on the planet right now, and that's gospel saturation of the nations. That is absolutely the most important thing. What happened on Monday night? is child's play compared to what this group of people represent right here for the city of Houston. We are God's representative of the glory of himself in the gospel of Jesus Christ spread to every man, woman, and child. That's what we're supposed to be about. So the reason why we come together to collaborate is to ensure that we are gathering and working together to ensure that every man, woman, and child. So we actually need every ethnic group. We need every socioeconomic group. We need everybody represented. We come together to work together under the unity and the lordship of Jesus Christ to see the gospel to saturate our city. And that's what we're called to do. That comes right out of the pages of Scripture. And the church in America has spent far too long trying to market our differences and separate ourselves for various reasons. And we've missed this whole supernatural authentication that Jesus Christ came from the Father because he unified us around the glorious gospel. And we carry his word to the people around us. That's what collaboration is all about. I would say that most of us fall into the danger of having the idea of collaboration as something in our hearts, and we give ourselves credit to because we say things like this, well certainly if somebody in the community or in the city comes up with a really good idea that fits with my schedule and the way I've marketed and planned my church programming, I would certainly be open to consider the possibility but, you know, if that doesn't happen, like, I'm not going to waste my time on a dumb idea. But, you know, but, but think about the word itself, collaboration. Where's that word come from? That, that's actually a word that comes from the Latin, two compounds. So the, the first is the prefix on it. Uh, the, the col or con in the Latin means to be with or together. The latter half of the verse comes from the root word that we get our word labor from. So it's working together. That's the idea. So the question when we talk about collaboration to ask yourself is, as a pastor, as a church planter, as a Christian leader, how am I working together with the greater body of Christ to ensure that we're saturating the city with the gospel? That's what we're talking about. Scripture affirms this and those who begin to catch it and get involved in it start recognizing that this is a seismic shift this is life-shattering alternative to what we've typically viewed as success. I remember when it hit me really hard. Um, we would planted a couple churches out of our church, and uh, we were... Mega church, head to the grind, nose to the grindstone, plowing forward, bless, hey, I hope y'all are doing a good job out there, we got our thing, we're doing our thing, so we're doing that. And because we planted a couple churches, we became experts in church planning. you know how it is in the Christian church, as soon as you've done something, or at least you've thought about doing something, then you write a book about it because if you wait until after you've done it for a while, you find out like how inadequate that was. So you want to get the book published and out there before you have a chance. And so most of the conferences you go to, you're listening to people speak about ideas that they're planning to do someday. And then you go home and try it and you get the scars from it and you think, what happened here? I thought this worked. So anyway, we'd planned a couple churches. So we got invited to talk to some guys in Mexico city about church planning. So I get there and I get these three guys and they ask me this question. They say, how do we reach our city with the gospel? And I said, I don't think I understand what you're talking about. What are you asking me? Well, we want to reach our city with the gospel. Now at that time, Mexico City had the largest population of any city on the planet, somewhere between 24 and 27 million people, depending on whether you're counting all the people or not. And I said, "Um, I don't know. Like I can't, my mind are reaching your whole city. You've got to be kidding me. Like, I, I don't get that. I mean, you guys are all bivocational. You've got 80 people meeting in a garage, and you're talking about reaching your whole city. Let's start with your neighborhood. How many people in your neighborhood? They said, oh, about 125,000. So in your neighborhood, oh yeah, we have a relatively small colonia here in Mexico City. It's about 125,000. So we start having this conversation. Well, how many people would have to be believers in Jesus Christ that are equipped and capable of sharing their faith that are living gospel transformed lives spread throughout your neighborhood. And then they said, oh, probably one in 10 to ensure that every man, woman, child had access to the gospel. So, well, that's 12,500 people. So we could be talking about planting 10 churches that are big, 1,250 people apiece. There's a lot of issues with that. You got to get you know, property and land and training and all that kind of stuff, or we could look at a hundred house churches of 125 people, but that's a lot. How do we equip believers and mobilize? So anyway, we're having this whole conversation about strategy to reach their neighborhood. They want to reach their city. I just want to reach their neighborhood. I get on the plane to come home. It's like the Holy Spirit just slapped me right upside the head. Have You ever had one of those moments? Like, it's like, you're so hard-headed, ox. Boom! He said, you guys are not doing that in Austin. You're not doing that in Austin. You're not sitting down and thinking, how do we plant a gospel presence in every single area? And what kind of collaboration would it require to do that? And how would you strategize to get people close to the gospel because they were close to a believer who was living that out? And I just recognized at that moment that we were so far off what the Spirit of God has called us to. And I came home and I told our elders, if we were our own missionaries, we would fire ourselves. Because we send missionaries around the world to exegete the culture, come up with a strategy to plant those churches and reach those people and saturate that area with the gospel. That's what we expect them to do, but we don't do that where we live. we got children's ministry to run. i got a series of sermons to preach. Like, that's what we're all about. So collaboration is in the heart of God it emerges from the pages of Scripture and it actually validates the deity of Jesus Christ I believe that that's one of the missing apologetics in America today it's a missing apologetic I mean we we work to hone our arguments to people that are looking for something real and we can say we can defend the faith verbally but we're called to a different quality of life relationally and that's what people are looking for so we started to do this in Austin um, we've, we've got a number of churches that are participating working together we have a strategic council that's working and planning and strategizing to reach the city we've had up to 400 churches participate in uh, citywide outreach events and citywide strategies right now we're working on what we call our Love Where You Live initiative which is Mobilizing every single believer in the city of Austin to get to know their neighbors, begin to pray for them, and begin to reach out to them. Uh, Seeing massive favor with a very antagonistic civil city government that that see this as a a blessing to the city. And, And we're starting to see some progress, but it's not just us. We're seeing this happen all across the United States. Kansas City, Missouri, last week, they've got a hundred pastors that have come together and they've begun to work together, strategize together to ask the question, how do we reach every man, woman, and child in Kansas City? Over the weekend, we got a call from the the people that we've been working with in Washington, D.C. They've divided the city up into nine major sections. They've got pastors in each of the sections, cross-denominational, they're kingdom-minded pastors that are coming together to reach every man, woman, and child in greater D.C. That's 62 cities that are currently part of this movement or network where pastors are coming together, praying, and then actually collaborating, strategizing to do that. This afternoon in Seattle, there are a group of pastors in the Puget Sound area A lot of you guys know Jeff Vanderstealth. You probably heard him speak or read some of his books. He's given leadership to that along with a, a Texas Aggie that moved up there to be a church planter, Jonathan Alexander, that's up there now working with that group to reach that whole city with the gospel. So this is beginning to happen as the Holy Spirit is bringing people together to ask questions about what would it take to reach every man, woman, and child. And I know that that's the heartbeat of this network. And so I applaud you guys on it. A couple challenges that we've learned over the years I just kind of throw out there with you on kind of the how-to as you struggle with this. The first challenge that we face is the challenge of the small vision. The challenge of the small vision. If you as a church planter or a pastor believe that you've been called to build a great church, your vision will hold you back from collaboration. Your vision will hold you back from collaboration. And you will instill within your congregation a very small commitment to the actual gospel activity that Jesus is calling them to. Here's how that goes. Pastor, you keep telling me about your vision for the church and I like you. You're a great guy, I like you. I wanna help you build your church. What can I do? You need somebody to work in a parking lot? I can do that once a month. You need somebody to rock babies in the nursery? I can do that once a month. You need somebody to lead a small group? I can open my home and put in Andy Stanley's DVD and we can watch that together. Like, we can do that, I'll do that for you pastor. Is that what you need me to do? But you know, the corporation I work for, we're trying to grab global market share. And they tell me that if I really put my time and energy in over here, wow. And you're gonna be amazed at what's gonna happen. Your retirement, your benefits, boy, I like, I'm giving my life to this job. I'll give you a couple hours to your deal, but these guys have a vision that's global. What about God's global vision? What about God's global vision? One of the surprising things that happened in Austin is pastors started telling their churches that we're going to collaborate together to reach every man, woman, and child in the city, and that means it's going to take all of you because it's all the churches working together, Pastors were shocked at how excited the lay people in their church were to be involved in something that could actually transform the whole city and to serve with other believers. So many of us complain of a lack of commitment among our members, but we often have to check what vision we've cast for them. Is it a kingdom vision? Or is it help me build a new, better, greater church than the people in the past did or the people that are in that group or the people that are in that group are building? The lowest form of leadership is to attack the status quo in order to make your vision sound great. And many, many people are trying to build a vision for the future by simply criticizing everybody else okay so the size of your vision makes a big difference here's one of the questions everybody has to ask ask and answer as you're planting and as you're pastoring a church do I see myself as the pastor of a church in the city or do I see myself as a pastor of the church in the city That will change the whole way you cast vision to your people. Second one, obstacle to collaboration, is tradition. You say, well, we're a bunch of church planners. We don't have any traditions. You will be surprised how fast you get these traditions. Here's what's really interesting. Here's what I've discovered. The way we determine the will of God becomes our tradition and oftentimes limits us from collaboration. So here's Hill Country Bible Church. We're going to go off on an elder retreat, and we're going to pray, and we're going to seek the Spirit for God. What do you want us to do? And God gives us a direction, so we got our sermon series laid out. We've got our initiatives. We've got our capital campaign planned. We've got our church planning strategy planned. And we have absolutely no idea what God is saying to the other pastors in the city. And so then we come back with, Thus saith the Lord for Hill Country Bible Church, and when God's starting to work with the other pastors in the city, we can't do that because this fall we've got our capital campaign. We can't be involved in that. So here's the challenge. How in the world do you open up your system to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through a greater conversation with the other leaders in the city so you don't lock down your programming which precludes you from participating you don't lock down your budget you don't lock down your schedule until you've had a chance to interact and hear from God because I guarantee you we all believe that the spirit is not divided so how could the spirit all give us each an individual vision for our ministry and how we're going to plan the year and exclude any type of collaboration. Maybe we just haven't heard from the Spirit, maybe we're more hearing ourselves, or maybe the Spirit's working kind of because He knows we're not gonna work together, so here's here's the best you guys are gonna get from me, and we plow forward with it. So the tradition of how you decide what you're gonna do in your church plant or what you're gonna do in your church becomes very powerful in keeping you self-focused and not open to collaboration. The third area is distrust, just, just basic distrust. Um, I've seen this over and over again where small churches don't trust big churches, and big churches don't trust small churches. And Churches of different stripes and denominations don't trust each other, and churches that are predominantly of one ethnicity and predominantly of another ethnicity don't trust each other. And that kind of distrust makes everybody question the motives of those who push collaboration. Now, the motives of those who push collaboration probably aren't perfect because we, by the way, do believe in depravity, right? So all of our motives are gonna be flawed, and there's gonna be no perfect person But if you start with a basic attitude of distrust, I would suggest that you're focused on people and missing the dynamic of the Spirit who creates the unity and tells us to maintain it. And I would encourage you to do things that build relationships between you. If you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit that you have a negative attitude towards someone else in your geography, please take that as the prompting of the Spirit to go get with that person and work through that. That's what we preach and teach to our people, right? Resolve conflict quickly. Don't carry a grudge. Don't carry distrust. Keep lines of communication open. That's what we teach in our marriage seminars. So we we want to practice that. If there's something there, you want to reach out and and build those bridges. The third one, uh, or the fourth one is is fear uh, is an obstacle to collaboration. I want to speak specifically to church planners. If you're planning a church, here's what you probably think. You probably think, well, I'm the new kid on the block, so who am I... To initiate collaboration. And if I go talk to the pastors of the churches that have been around for a while, they they probably won't listen to me because I have nothing to offer. As a church that's been around for a while in Austin, I can tell you what the pastors are thinking when you set up a sign in the building right across the street from where that church exists. I wonder if that church planner's is going to come ask me, like, what do I know about this area that I've lived in for 27 years and they just got to town last week? And everybody's stalemates right at that point. I would encourage you to be a catalyst. So part of the cool thing about church planting is this fresh wind of the spirit blowing in you that you guys are the cowboys, you're willing to take the risk, and so take the risk call a pastor. In fact, I, with our church planters, we will not let a person plant in an area until they've met every one of the pastors in that area. Gone and try to get with them i want to pray for you i'm here to help i'm not here to steal your people because i don't care about getting any saved people in my church my my church starts out of the lostness of the cult we're trying to lead people to christ here not steal your people i don't want your problems because i know the people will steal from your church are the people that you want to get rid of so uh, like we don't want those people so um you know the people that are happy and working well in your church they're not going to leave so uh, so so to get with those people build those relationships so here's just a you call you call a pastor of the largest church in the area where you're planting and you call him on the phone or you call his assistant because you're not gonna get him uh, call him on call him on the phone and just simply say listen could i come by for 10 minutes i promise any time in the week that you're available just for 10 minutes i just want to come by for 10 minutes i i just want to i want you to see my face i want you to know that i'm here for the gospel with you. I am so excited for the spiritual heritage that you have done in this community. And can you give me three things that I can pray for you about? Because I will make a commitment to pray for you. The majority of pastors will be blown away that you'd be willing to reach out to them in that way. And don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness or your size. In Louisville, Kentucky, a young guy, 30 years old, Pastoring a church of 200, Evangelical Free Church, brought together the two biggest churches in that community to have dialogue about how to reach that city with the gospel. So who knows how God will use you. So don't let fear get in the way. The, the, the final thing I want to mention in the area of, of obstacles to collaboration is the differences. Um, how do we know when we begin to collaborate that we're going to be able to tolerate theological differences, stylistic differences, terminology differences, racial differences. Like, how do you do that? Well, here's what we've learned in Austin. What we've learned in Austin is if you focus on the end goal being people are burst into a relationship with Jesus, the goal is to see the gospel, saturate your geography, that most of the churches that theologically do not believe what you believe also are not excited about that being the goal. So if you make the transformation of people through the gospel of Jesus Christ the focus of your collaboration, I mean, everybody will come together to paint the school. Like, everybody's happy to do that. Everybody will come, even the non-Christian religions will come join you for that, okay? They'll come join you for that. But if you make gospel saturation the focus of what you're about, you say, well, well there, there are even some churches with gospel saturation. I'm not, I don't know if I'm comfortable with their theology or not. What, what we did in Austin, we, we took the, the oldest creed of the church, the Apostles' Creed, and we basically said, this is the general doctoral statement that we're going to use. Um, and it's such a a Christological-focused doctrinal statement that's about what Jesus Christ came to do and save. We use that as kind of a basic pattern, but what we found is that people didn't show up at the table if they didn't have the desire to see people come to Christ. What we also found is that there were people that we would have never invited who showed up at the table, Uh, Because that's where they're at. So I I give you a personal failure on my part. Largest United Methodist Church in Central Texas is um, about a mile from our church. And the pastor that was there when I got there was one of those guys that said he didn't really think Paul was that inspiring or inspired. And so I just wrote those people off. Like Like, why would I go over there? Well, they got a new pastor. Eight years went by. Never went and met the guy. I finally went to meet him got an appointment, sat down, was talking to him about gospel saturation in the city, and he said, listen, like, I don't know anything about Bible church. You guys are a Bible church? I don't know what you are. He said, well, let me just tell you what I am. I'm all about salvation and sanctification. That's really all I'm about. He said, I'm a John Wesley guy, so my goal is to get people saved and to get them sanctified. And frankly, the majority of the people in my church are not saved yet. And so I'm trying to get my people saved and get them sanctified. So if that's what you're talking about here, how do we get the gospel to people? And then how do we disciple them into Jesus Christ? Then I'm in. There are people out there that you might initially not reach out to. So, um, We've got 1,100 churches in the greater Austin area, um, and we, we've started working with the you know, the churches and how do we work with this? And, and so we kind of came up with a framework that I'm gonna show you guys a little bit here that might help you in thinking about the whole collaborative process. There, there are really four impulses of churches, and I've grouped them into these four categories. You've got fundamentalist churches. Those are churches that tend to be isolated around doctrine or dogma and, and kind of keep to themselves. And you get got evangelical churches, which are, are more open, they connect more with the culture, but they're still very gospel-centric. Then you've got mainline churches that reflect our mainline denomination, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, the mainline denominations that have traditionally historically been around. And then you've got the progressive liberal denominations, or people, Those who wouldn't necessarily hold to any kind of view of Scripture as authoritative uh, would tend to be more universalist in their thinking and, and so forth. So here's what we've discovered. When it comes to gospel saturation, from starting on this end to moving to this end, lost, reaching the lost and only reaching the lost tends to start here. And when you get to this end, the focus is on how do we help the least? And in between the impulse is fundamentalists and evangelicals place a high focus on reaching the loss, but evangelicals are a little bit more open to, reach, to serve the least as well. Mainline, they're more open to serve the least, but still retain some desire in some of them to reach the lost. And progressive liberals don't believe that there's anybody that's lost, and so they only focus on the least. So, these people have a difficult time talking to these people. But they can talk to these people. These people can talk to these two, so the evangelicals have a really difficult time talking to progressives. Totally different language, different values. But they can talk back and forth here. Mainlines can talk to evangelicals and talk to progressives. And so the sweet spot for collaboration around the gospel tends to be right here. There are some fundamentalist churches that will participate, but a lot of them won't. There are some mainline churches that will participate, but a lot of them won't most evangelical churches will participate in gospel saturation because that's the primary impulse of the evangelical church. So if we've got 1,100 churches in greater Austin, we've got about 500 that fit in the category of the people that will participate. So when we got 400 churches in Austin participating in an event, that's a huge percentage of participation gospel focus, gospel activity, gospel saturation, and recognize that your goal is not necessarily to go to the ministerial alliance and try to pull all of these people, by the way, the fundamentals don't go to the ministerial alliance, but... Try to pull all these people together because at that point in time, what you're going to end up having to do is you're going to end up having to compromise on what your basic goal is, which is to reach people with the gospel. That makes sense? That makes sense? So we don't target people that are outside, but we don't tell them that they can't participate. What we say is, is here's what we're committed to. We're unapologetic. We actually tell our city officials that. This is what we're committed to. We're unapologetic. We think the best thing that could happen to this city was that everybody put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you want our help, you need to realize that's who we are. and That's who we're going to be. That's what we're all about. And if you give us platforms, we'll show you that that actually works. So, anyway, so collaboration. A lot of times when people hear collaboration, they think, okay, that means, like, I've got to figure out a way to get everybody to the table. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is collaborating around the gospel. And so those people who will come, will come. The bigger question isn't, how do I get everybody there? The bigger question is, how do I get myself there? How do I bend my life in such a way that the kingdom is the focus I've got a platform in my own personal evangelism and my personal discipleship. I've got a community in my church that I'm planting of personal evangelism and personal discipleship, but I've got the greater body of Christ that God has put here. And Jesus wants to manifest the miracle of his divinity by the way we are partnering together around the greatest thing ever, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes through him. So. Let me just pause right there and um, see if you guys have any questions. Yes. It's a really good question. So, how, how do you how do you deal with the Catholic community in this whole discussion? Because what we just talked about here is this is Protestantism right here. Didn't even raise the issue of Catholicism in that. And what you find is within Catholicism, there's also some of these kinds of divisions within Catholicism that, that are really interesting. In Austin, um, we've when we did our major Explore God campaign, we really wrestled with whether we go directly to the Catholic bishop and ask them to participate or not and struggle with that. One of the things that we knew is that if we did, that there would be a certain percentage of churches, which would be most of these, and a few of these that would drop out just because because of the association. So I was really kind of nervous about it, but here's what happened as the collaboration starts taking place and lay people start talking about this, they they bump into their Catholic neighbors and friends who say to them, well, we're Christian too. How come our churches aren't participating with you guys? And there starts to be an upward push through the parishes up to the bishop. So that's starting to take place. So I came back to our strategic council and raised the question, should we invite them to participate and explore God? The curriculum was written The small group material was written. It was clearly gospel focused. There wasn't any real way to change it. So it it was all basically laid out. So it was actually, do you guys want to do this or do you not want to do this? So it wasn't as if they could get in there and tweak it and change the message because that was a really nailed down strategy or approach. So I asked my Hispanic pastors, our Hispanic pastors, because I thought that they might be offended because many of them are dealing with people are coming from Catholic backgrounds, and some of them struggle with that a lot. So I asked our Hispanic pastors, and here's what they told here's what they told me. And you, it may be different here, but here's what they, they said. This they said: when they invite a disaffected Catholic to participate in something that they're doing, and by the way, only four percent of the immigrants that are coming to Austin participate in the Catholic Church. Only four percent. So the Catholic Church is not reaching the immigrants that are coming to Austin. Here's what they say. They say, we invite them to do something and they, they say we're Catholic. So just like my Jewish neighbors, that's what they say. I, I reach out to them, no, we're Jewish. That's, that's a non-starter. Stop you right there, we're Catholic. They said, Tim, if the bishop would say he endorses this program, this Explore God campaign, then we could say to them, "Well, the bishop endorsed this, and then they would have to go, "Oh, okay, well, if the bishop endorsed it, what is it well, I'm open to it so the Hispanic pastors in Austin said, "Please reach out to the bishop so that 's what we did. We reached out to the Bishop for two of our major spiritual awareness campaigns the first time he said, "We want to bless you we 'll pray for you, but um we don't feel like we can gear up to be involved. Second time we did it, we didn't hear anything back at all. So in our context, we just haven't had, I mean, there just hadn't been any any participation. So I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit kind of working that out or, but, but that's, so that's how we've handled it. Rightly or wrongly, that's how we've handled it. It's a great question. Other questions? So um, 10 years ago, we pulled together 10 pastors and we began to challenge that group of pastors, would you be willing to lead a city collaborative movement? And I've got a whole bunch of information on that that I don't have time to give you today, how that came about, but we've done, we started out with a spiritual survey of the city. So we hired Ed Stetzer and his group to come in and do a survey of the lostness of our city by actually interacting with lost people. We used that survey as a platform to really begin to understand um, our city and pull pastors together to talk about that. We also had a significant time of prayer, seeking the Spirit. We came up with a strategy. And out of that strategy, there have been multiple types of things that we've done. We've done spiritual awareness campaigns where um, our goal is to get everybody in the city of Austin talking about God over a period of time and then train all of our people to engage in those conversations. We've done... Uh, four of those. Uh, We've also attacked one of the biggest systemic problems in our city, which is third grade literacy, and the Church of Jesus Christ is adopting every school, every elementary school throughout the Austin area to pair reading buddies with people to let the city know that we want to solve one of the systemic problems that cannot be solved any other way. We divide the city up into 18 areas, and we pulled the pastors together in those 18 areas, so the local pastors in a part of our geography would begin to strategize on at a street level how do we ensure that the gospel is touching every man woman and child in that area and then we've fostered church planting collaborative church planting across groups and individual church planting within groups so for example hill country bible church our church um, at our last essentials training We had 18 couples, only five of them were from our church. We had 18 couples and from 12 different denominations that went through that training. So we're providing collaborative help for church planning in the city. So that's been our primary focus, those four areas um, that we've been working on. And uh, we've been been doing it for really actively for about seven years and um, It's been really amazing how God's shown his favor on us. Yes. We really have not seen much of that. So we've got a lot of people that come because of the University of Texas and then end up staying, and we're seeing particularly the Indian population is really exploding in Austin. And that's been one of the things that's on the heart of the pastors. How do we get the kind of expertise in place to really begin to minister in those groups? We do pretty good with refugees, but refugees typically stay for nine months and then come to Houston, seriously. So Austin is a receiving city, so we receive them, and they typically go to Houston, Chicago, LA, um, once they get, but but we've done a pretty good job of working with those groups of people. From the standpoint of first generation Spanish speakers that are coming in, um, we've got an alliance of 160 Spanish speaking churches that are working together to reach that community and they're partnered into the greater city movement. In fact, the person who heads up their association, and it's not just one denomination, it's multi-denomination, sits on our strategic council and speaks into that. So that's been very healthy. The African-American population in Austin is very small, 9% and shrinking. And uh, companies are having a difficult time recruiting African-Americans to come to Austin because there's no cultural center for African-Americans in Austin. It's just never really developed. And so young African-Americans don't really want to come to Austin when they can go to a cities where there's more of a cultural vibe that they can be part of. But the African-American church is there. We work with them as well. So we're seeing cross-collaboration. But the newer immigrants that are coming, um, particularly Asian and Indian peoples, we have a long way to go. Vietnamese people, we have a long way to go there. Good question. Okay, so here's what I wanna do to to wrap up, because I know you guys have to leave at Um, 1.30. What I would ask you to do is just spend a moment at your tables, just a moment at your tables, just praying that God would show you anything that's going on with you that would hinder you from collaborating. And just, just before the Lord, just, just ask for an openness. I'm not asking for any confession. Just ask for an openness and then Steve will come up and close in prayer and send you off with the final parting comments. So let's just take two or three minutes and just give yourself a moment to let this sink in before you head off to work on your next sermon.